I am unashamed. What about you? All right, welcome back to Unashamed. Still down here at the Southern Lair, uh, tuning in to uh, Jason Phil at the the Lair. So, Jace, what you got going on? Y'all doing any hunting or what's happening? We have been hunting. It's been a uh, it's been a remarkable year. I, I'd say above average. We had this huge ice storm. I mean, ice not it's falling from the sky, but it got down to what was the ten degrees? I think. Yeah, they, way over 14 something yeah like i mean it so everything froze then you know the ducks are they're gonna move on that but now we're what a week after the new year i guess and you know it's 70 degrees and feel like you could be on a beach somewhere oh you are al <laughs> oh i am a beach somewhere <laughs> Oh, yeah. So, uh, <laughs> but I will, I'll let me tell you this, because it's going to, it's going to tie in with uh, what we're going to talk about. You know, people are easily fooled and, uh, and we live in these, these fake realities. You know, the last podcast we talked about why nobody wants to take serious the eternal life aspect of what Jesus offers is because we have to go through that process. And, uh, and we'll continue that because Jesus is here. You know, we're talking about an eternal being becoming human for us and have to go through the abandonment and the agony of death for us and uh, being, you know, separated from, from God. I mean, for us. I mean, he took our place and got what we deserve. So I'm not sure if you're aware of this that happened. You might have heard it through the grapevine. So we had our Christmas at our house, our family, our Robertson family Christmas for, I guess for ever since I was a kid, we always had it at y'all's house, but you had your back surgery and it, plus there's just so many people now with everybody being fruitful and multiplying that we just needed a bigger house. And, uh, so after we had the festivities, and I, I don't know if we talked about that in an earlier podcast, what all we did. I mean, we ate good. We ha- we have a no, we uh, didn't. We have a, I guess a Cajun Christmas as far as food because we have shrimp. What did we have? We had we had I fried shrimp. I fried ten pounds of shrimp, and they were gone. I fried them in fifteen minutes with my assistant, my son Reed, and they were gone in less than five. <laughs> we also had uh, crawf- we had crawfish pies that Willie made mom's recipe they were delicious dad made a, a crab meat au gratin that was fantastic so yeah, yeah so a lot we had, of really good we had the crab meat au gratin we had the crawfish pie we had the shrimp and we had boiled we had another five pounds of boiled shrimp and uh, Jay actually what was that he cooked what? he did a pork butt he did a he smoked a pork butt too so yeah, Which was and delicious. it was fantastic. And we had all the desserts, and we didn't really do a gift exchange. Uh, Kay did her usual gag gift that was, it's like a real funny moment, but nothing's funny. It's it's actually funny because they're not funny. That's right. So uh, we do that every year. And uh, I think she got me uh, some kind of plaid, looked like a Hawaiian shirt, but has cards on. I think it was an attempt to have some kind of like a poker shirt or something because I play poker. What's well, interesting? It wasn't why funny. Why are you there? 
is I looked at all the family groups, the 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 numbers, with with uh, you being the oldest, Al, Jace is second, then Willie, th- then uh, what's that fourth one's name? Jep. Jep. Well, you have you Phyllis got, in there. Yeah, Phyllis, Phyllis in between. And, and you got Phyllis in there. But but this was the only family group that multiplied this large amongst all the Robertsons. I mean, my oldest brother, just a couple of kids, and then but the, there was no a lot of people showing up. Yeah, because they weren't there. Harold, well, same way. Judy, same way. Jan, to a lesser degree, but but there. But out of all those family groups, the largest one by far. It's the one that y'all well, are ahead of. You're, yeah, you're, right. Well, I hope Jeff doesn't listen to this podcast, but uh, <laughs> so, but part of that is, you know, your your before Jesus activities, which led to eventually Phyllis and you know, and their family, and you know, they have two sons, and then their families, and then we've all adopted or you know fostered that's right. kids, and so you have all their families have grown. I mean, it's yeah, you're right. It. It looks like it the, is like fifty or sixty, maybe. You know. Yeah, it looks like the United Nations, which I don't think is a bad thing because I think that's a result of being in Jesus. But it's quite uh, the number is big. I mean, look, it was uh, after we got finished. Ten pounds of shrimp in five minutes—that just gives you a little. I mean, look, that our house literally looked like a bomb had gone off after everybody was was out. I mean, there were. You know, somebody had a dog that peed on a lot of Missy's curtains, and uh, she she <laughs> she was not happy. But uh, I had to remind her that houses are there to be used and abused, and this is part of it. And uh, so that was the only thing she was really upset about. It was just some dog. Just she had these white curtains because it was cold on our our it was actually what twenty twenty five degrees, but we had so many people that she wanted to use the back porch, so she come out with a great idea. She put curtains on the outside uh porch and had a fire we have a fireplace on our back porch, and it was actually nicer out there. Than it was inside because there were so many people. Oh, that's why I hung out because it wasn't super cold, but but inside was so hot because there were so many people. So I love the back porch. I thought you saw the white flowing curtains out. Well, some somebody's dog that they brought peed strategically on every one. It was like how could one dog have that much pee in their body to mark mark all the white curtains? He was happily marking his territory. So. I, I'm I'm bringing this up because I want to tell you a story that happened. So when it got down, they uh like fifteen to twenty of the younger crew of our family were organizing a capture the flag that happened after the meal. You know, John Luke was Willie's son was coordinating that, but I noticed most of the people involved in that were under thirty years of age, which. I wasn't sure what capture the flag is, but it's basically them running through the neighborhood, two teams trying trying to win. So Reed said his team won. So that's all I know about that. But right before they were having their little meeting and setting the rules off, 
Well, somebody said, where's that cat? Because you got to remember, we had the whole family there, and it was almost like an like an episode of the uh, Christmas Vacation movie. Because you had some members of our family that brought some food that did not get eaten. Because in our family, there's a certain visual and a smell test that happens on all the food. 90% of it was fantastic. But there was some food brought that nobody touched, which I thought was fascinating. The visual just didn't stack up or something. Nope. And uh, so we were... (laughs) That's from the ones who's... My granddaughters and whatnot, the lack of training on their part. Yeah. <laughs> it was so funny because it was like, you know, it reminded me of that scene in Christmas Vacation where the uh, the old grandma, she 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 wrapped up something in, in to bring as a meal, but it was moving inside the box. Aunt Bethany. <laughs> Aunt Bethany. <laughs> yeah. So we had the curtains that's being peed a, That's always a double take on that. So we, we were assessing all this situation, and somebody said, and there were still probably 20 people there, but everybody there was young, and somebody said, there, there's, where's this cat? Do y'all have a cat? And M- Missy, one her gag gift from, from Kay was a sweater a Christmas sweater with a cat on it because you're like, why is that funny? Because Missy doesn't like cats at all. I mean, she's okay if you have them, but she doesn't, she does, she's not a cat person. And so, uh, so that just sets the tone for now. All of a sudden said, where's this cat? And so I was like, there's a cat and it sound like it was trapped. Every so often you would hear just, you know, a cat. And we, we all started looking for this cat because it was sounding more and more distressed, and we could not find this. Look, we, I got the attic door down. We're looking, and somebody said, finally. There's a cat trapped in the house. It's meow. a trapped in the house. And look, you know, emotions started running high. And uh, some of Phyllis's, uh, Phyllis's uh, daughter-in-law, she, she's getting, because she is a cat person. And so emotions start, start getting high because this cat sounds like it's in distress. In pain, and about every time you would zero in on it, you you would lose the you know, the cat was just every so often you would hear this sound. So we tore that place apart looking for this cat. In fact, uh, uh, one, the Willie's ad- adopted son Rowdy. He had he was in a vent like an air conditioner vent. He's like that cat is in this air conditioner vent. I, I mean, I looked in there. It went from being destroyed to now. We're into the infrastructure of that house. We're trying to go through walls. Hunting the cat. So finally, Brighton, which is Reed's wife, she comes out because she was putting uh, their baby down. And she heard the sound. And she said, I think there's something going on in our society where people are buying tapes of distressed animals and using it as a prank and we were all looking like dumbfounded like is this surely a bunch of rednecks has not stooped this low somebody she said i think somebody's pranking you so then we everybody started looking in places you wouldn't normally look would be like paintings on the walls and pictures and sure enough read behind a uh, a picture that was actually our christmas cd 
when it went platinum or whatever, somebody had stuck a uh, little device that was looked like a bug, but it was a tape recording of a cat every few seconds going. So I'm like, what kind of mind does that? <laughs> so who was the author of this? This that's where it went next. It then turned into a game of Clue. Yeah, which is you know in the in the music room because that's where it was. Who who would have done this? So an investigation started, and so everybody was trying to figure out who would have done this because I mean the. Typical, because Kay's known for pranks and all, but she she doesn't have the technical sophistication at all to know this, and so we kind of thought it was Willie. That was that was who we kind of all agreed because he's Mister Prankster, and I just thought I just can't see Willie doing that. I mean, but I I basically thought it was, and then a voice. When there was a silence, when we had concluded it was really a, a young teenage girl voice said, I did it. And we all looked and <laughs> she started laughing. <laughs> uh, so Jay and Anna, Al, have you heard this, that she did this? I'm fully aware of the whole operation. I yeah. knew about it beforehand. But yeah. So, so Al's daughter's daughter who's 15, she did it. BK. BK. But, and she started laughing and just laughed and laughed. And <laughs> she unleashed <laughs> If I would have had a video of Missy looking at her. <laughs> oh, Jace, there is a video because the whole time y'all were having the discussion, BK was videoing it. And she came home and showed us, and we laughed so hard. The look on Missy's face, whenever it was all revealed, she she has captured that on video. <laughs> so it really turned out to be the best prank ever, and the least likely person. Now, I don't know what that's a sign of. She's that, a quiet you, little girl. I mean, you just wouldn't she's think. Quiet. You just wouldn't think. And I thought, there's some devious uh, tendencies there, because she... Now that I've heard that she videoed it all, Al, you better keep an eye on her. Uh, so not only did she do it, she I wouldn't filmed have all of it. I wouldn't have thought of doing that. I mean, look, Phil, it was a 30-minute stop everything what you're doing, tear the place apart, and find this cat. <laughs> oh, and she's laughing the whole time. Videoing it. We call her the silent assassin, so now you know why. Let's uh, Let's take a break. Yeah, well, I have to. I'll have to tell her you brought that. I didn't know you were going to talk about it, but well, I we brought it up. so hard about that. I brought it up because I was just thinking from a spiritual context, people are vulnerable, and uh, they believe something to be true when it wasn't. It was. We were all sincerely duped. Who'd hoodwink? And, and uh, you know, to bring this to a serious nature. You do not want to be duped when it comes to who created the universe on on who Jesus is and the consequences therein. Yeah. I mean, because look, it, it had the image and the feel that there was a cat in the house, but it wasn't there. It was a, it was a trick. Prankster. Hmm. 
Now, that's a great point, because when you look at this in the big picture, you're exactly right. The reason they call the devil the adversary, the accuser, um, you know, that's he, that's what he does. He he sows things that look like reality, but really aren't. And that's exactly how sin got into the world. And that's how he's used that along with the fear of death to lead so many people astray yeah. because he helps him create a false reality. Yeah, that's yeah. why I brought up the emotions of this. I mean, look, because people thought this cat was in trouble and their emotions got involved and it oh, became yeah. like they were raising their voice. And I mean, this cat is dying. Yeah. We must find this cat. You know, and meanwhile, a 15 year old girl's over there chuckling. You know, over the whole process about the nature, you really saw the souls of individuals, especially those who really love cats. Yeah. And it was disturbing, you know, because I was, I was upset because I thought if this cat dies in these walls i'd already thought you know reflected back to your infamous rat story yep when rats die in between walls now you brings up a whole host of other critters it sure does and the smell which i have a high sense of smell i was yeah. like we got to get this cat out of here it's a redneck story that, that's what we would call fake news that's exactly right so i guess that's the perfect lead to get us back to mark 14 uh, in the last podcast and in the overtime, we talked about Jesus, the emotional depth that Jesus shows in this moment, because it is so powerful what he's about to do uh, to take away the sins of the world. And and we get to verse uh, chapter 14. So we talked about him in the garden praying. Yep. And, uh, and he even tells Peter, he says, I prayed for you. You know, don't fall into temptation. And I thought it was interesting. I don't think we mentioned it last time, Jace, but I mean, I think that was another direct thing to Peter. It was like, because he's already mentioned that Satan wanted to sift him like wheat. And so it's almost like he's prepping him like, you know, your night's just beginning too. Because they've been all sleepy and, you know, weepy. But now all of a sudden it's like the wake up call when we get to 1443. Well, right. And so we had talked about, 1443 351 because then you had Judas which was one of the one of the 12 appeared because Jesus had just said rise here comes my betrayer because they were asleep at the post and with them was a crowd armed with swords and clubs and sent from the chief priests and the teachers of the law and the elders and we talked about this and one of the versions you know, Jesus says friend, calls Judas friend, which we didn't talk about that. Because you would think at that moment, I mean, here's one of his followers betraying him. And one of the other gospels, he he actually asked Jesus, I mean, uh, Judas confronted him. He said, are you going to betray the son of man with a kiss? Now, look, he didn't ask him because he didn't know that. That's he, right. he asked him to put Judas on the spot. I mean, it's one thing to betray Jesus. It's another to be confronted by Jesus and and force you to to admit what you've done. So I, th I still think it shows you that Jesus is, he's full of grace, but he's also, he confronts us with things that we don't want to address in, in, our, in our life. And that's why you have these two extremes on people's approach to Jesus. It, there, there's just no middle ground found here. You, you're either going to 
surrender to Jesus or you're not going to like him. Jace, don't you think that's why Judas chose this intimate way of greeting someone? Like when you gave someone a kiss and usually they kissed on both sides of the cheeks, it was an intimate way of saying we have a relationship. And I thought it was interesting because obviously Judas is now already set apart because remember he left, you know, when Satan entered him, he left the Lord's Supper you know, angry and ready to betray him. So it's not like they're that close anymore. And yet he gives this false narrative now with this kiss of Jesus that, you know what, we're still close as I'm turning you over to this mob. So I just, I don't think it's an accident that he chose such an intimate greeting to do what he did. Yeah, it was the worst thing he could have done. And even there, Jesus showed his integrity by calling him friend, by confronting him. Because look, a lot of times when we confront people, it's not easy, and it becomes awkward, and it's uncomfortable, but we do it because we love people. You know, I mean, we've we've all had interventions in our family and different people, and that we, you know, people lose their way, and we, you say, what do you do? You, you're confronting with them because you love them. And uh, so it's sad that Judas carried it out. And so the men seized Jesus in verse 40 and arrested him. Then one of those standing near drew his sword. And we talked about this, which we know was Peter. And Jesus said, am I leading a rebellion that you've come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I was with you teaching in the temple courts and you did not arrest me, but the scriptures must be fulfilled. And then everyone deserted him and fled because you got to remember, this was the key moment now that all his disciples said, well, wait a minute. I thought, I mean, you can feed uh, thousands of people out of thin air. You can heal people. You can raise people from the dead. You're the ultimate warrior. And he had given this little speech about bringing the swords. And so they all were under the impression, oh, we're fixed. To, they're fixed to be a scrap. So when Jesus backs down, well, then they leave because their view of Jesus did not fit with who he really is and so it's sad but it's true and but it's it's also uh kind of sobering for us because you got to remember to see the real jesus you got to read this for yourself you can't come up with some kind of narrative in your mind that that you think jesus should be and then following based on that that this is a uh, roughly speaking at least five six thousand year event that was predicted through the prophets all the way up to Matthew, and they're all, the time is near. Right. They're preaching the kingdom of God, and they preach. then Jesus begins to tell them, we're going up there, I'm going to die. The chief priests, the Pharisees, they're going to kill me. Yeah, he had, he had told them, but they just didn't like it. They, they, that's they, right. He just didn't, it wasn't, that's well, why they all The left. warning had already been told to them repeatedly. And then they throw in this. Um, before, you, before you read that, I wanted to make a point about uh, the mob. Uh, before we do that, let's take a break. So I, th I found it interesting that when it comes to political nature, the same things we see today, 2,000 years after this instance, it's, it's common all the way through. So the chief priests, teachers of the law, the Pharisees, those who had drummed up this whole thing, because they're the ones behind the scene that have decided right. Jesus has to die because he's a threat to their power. But they don't go get him. What they do is they find a willing mob 
to go and get them. And so I, I think the irony is so Form thick of here. Hit man, hit, hit man. Yeah. Exactly. And you see people do the same thing today. These people behind the scenes that won't have a political agenda, but they won't do it themselves. They they whip up a mob and send the mob. It's like, look, the people are just have decided and that they you know, this it. has to be they done. They fix it so all the blame is on the hit men. Not the not them. exactly. They are the fuel exactly. So I find that interesting that you even at this time you see the same things in motion that you see to this very day. Exactly and that's right. what happens when you know it's a satanic plan. Yeah. So the reason we're we're going back to this point because when we talked about a couple of podcasts, uh, Judas's betrayal and Peter disowning Jesus, we kind of skipped the prayer in. Gethsemane, which we did last podcast, but we also skip Jesus before the Sanhedrin, which is his first trial, and the ramifications of this, look, are really the most important aspect of this whole interesting thing, because everybody leaves, but now you have the true judge being on trial. I mean, we've got this backwards here. We should be on trial, and God should be the judge. But we're now, as humanity, doing the exact opposite here, which is very ironic, and it's very sobering, because this is going to help us as the trials continue when we get to Mark 15, Jesus before Pilate. So we want to look at that. Before we do, there is an interesting moment here. I think just this is in here to Mark wants to give you the picture of it wasn't that they just left. It was just sheer panic and fear because in 51, you had a young man wearing nothing but a linen garment was following Jesus. And this gets back to this moment when you follow Jesus, when it profits you, but when it costs you or when your narrative that you realize that you created on what you wanted Jesus to be like, which is something we all do as humans, when that turns out to not be exactly true and it's going to cost you to follow Jesus, that that's where the rubber meets the road in this. Because you see this, when they seized him, he fled naked, leaving his garment behind, which you could probably never show that in a movie unless you blurred <laughs> things out. But that's what happened. It, it wasn't that they just left him. They left him in a panic. Why would, why would he bring this and up? This is after... That uh, Mark chapter ten was the last time it's mentioned here, but he had been doing it repeatedly all the way back to Mark sixteen. Uh, they were on their way up to Jerusalem, and with Jesus leading the way, and the disciples were astonished, while those who followed were afraid. Again, he took the twelve aside. He said, "Y'all come up here." He told them what was going to happen. We're going to Jerusalem. The Son of Man will be betrayed. That's being all over here, and he talks about that two or three chapters later. Mark it up. Be betrayed to the chief, the priests, the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death. They, they will, uh, he'll hand him over to the Gentiles, the Romans, who will mock him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. Jace. That fell on deaf ears. Fell on deaf ears. And so then it leads us to 53, which is what we're we're going to talk about. I'm, we're probably not going to get through all this in this podcast because this is pretty deep. But it's very uh, sobering, 
So they took Jesus to the high priest and all the chief priests. And so now he's experiencing this abandonment. Which he had already predicted. He, he's, he's experiencing this abandonment from all his followers, which is eventually going to lead the abandonment uh, of God himself, the Father, when he's on the cross. And so all the elders and the teachers of the law came together. Now, Peter followed him at a distance. We talked about that earlier. Right into the courtyard of the high priest. There he sat with the guards and warmed himself at the fire, which I thought about that. <clears throat> Just, you know, a lot of times when you're staring at a fire, you tend to just think about things and reflect, you know. Reflect. I mean, yeah, how many yeah. times have you been at a campfire? Well, boy, I wonder what he was reflecting on right here. So the chief priests in 55 and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death, but they didn't find any. Because you got to remember that this whole thing with Judas and all the disciples abandoning him, but you got to remember the big picture. Jesus hasn't done anything wrong. Nothing. Nothing. So for this to work, you're you're going to, I mean, it's hard to get a, in any society, to get a person convicted of, of a crime they didn't commit, but. Many testified it, it, falsely against him. Well, right. But it's very difficult to get a person convicted and get the death penalty. When not only did they not commit the crime that you're accusing them of, that they haven't committed any crime ever in their entire life. So how this happens is this. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for evidence against Jesus, which is what you would normally do in a trial. But we all know that there was none so that they could put him to death, but they didn't find any. Many testified falsely against him because it had to be falsely. But what, watch what happened. But their statements didn't agree, which is common sense because he didn't do anything. So then some stood up and gave this false testimony against him. Now, what, this, is, this is so, uh, it's just fascinating. We heard him say, I will destroy this man-made temple and in three days we'll build another, not, not made by men. So we all know that that comes from, if you're just now joining our podcast, uh, where is that in John 2, I think, where it says, well, now i got to go find it, uh, where he says, destroy this temple and I'll raise it up, raise it up in three days. It's in, verse, it's in verse 19, John 2, 19. John 2, 19. Let me just read that. Uh, so we're going way back now when he said this, because in John's version, this is right off the bat. Verse 18 of John 2, then the Jews demanded of him, what miraculous sign can you show us to prove your authority? Because they were always threatened by Jesus as he came across as one who had authority. And Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. The Jews replied, it has taken 46 years to build this temple. And you got the reason I'm bringing this up, because he just discussed this in Mark 13, two chapters before. Uh, and you're now going to raise it in three days. But the temple he had spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recall what he had said, that they believe the scriptures and the words that Jesus had spoken. So so from their perspective, they're saying 
well, this he's a he's a terrorist. Because you notice, though, Jay's. Let's take a break. You notice, though, Jay's. Jesus didn't say man-made temple. They said man-made temple. They're the ones well, that right. surmised. Yeah. Well, Jesus was talking about his body and the resurrection. Correct. Which his disciples have no excuse for abandoning him because he's already told them this. This has got to over happen. Over and over. Over and over. It got to happen. They didn't get it. Narrative not computing. But if somebody and, comes along and tells you, Jace, I'm going to do this, that, and the other. Three days, I'm going to die, but but I'll be raised, and I'll then we'll talk this over. I mean, you, you would find it pretty tough to swallow. Yeah. But now, if you bring this to uh, our life, so this would be the equivalent of you taking a couple buildings in Washington, D.C., and then going around saying that they're going to be destroyed. You know, because if you said that, well, they get people's attention. Uh, They say, wait a minute now. Yeah. They're going to be destroyed. Yeah. Well, what do you know about that? Yeah. Well, and then somebody's saying, well, I heard this guy say that it was going to be destroyed and uh, in three days. So... Well, whatever that was. So they're basically accusing him of being a temple terrorist. Yeah. I mean, well, you, you think that's an accurate assessment now? Oh, I think you're seeing it play out now. I mean, look at this January 6th thing. Some people were there. They were protesting. They were outside oh, the yeah. Congress. But but what's been attributed to, to all these people, and some of them did things that were wrong. I'm not saying that crimes weren't committed. But what do you see now? It's a, oh, man, everybody that was there yeah. wanted to destroy so they, the Capitol. I mean, it's the exact same thing in what yeah. you're talking so about. So they took it that is. vein. That was their way to try to get him killed. But look, notice what it says in 58. But not. Not even, I mean, uh, 59. Yet even then their testimony didn't agree. So they had other people that were not cooperating the, uh, <laughs> this destroyed the man-made temple and in three days build another. They've dreamed up a lot of lies yep. here. Yep. So 60 says, then the high priest stood up before them and asked Jesus, are you not going to answer? Because Jesus is just sitting here. What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed one? Now, when he asked that, look what he says, which is a famous thing that Jesus has said many times. I am. It wasn't just that was not just in response to that question because you can go look up all the I am's uh, where Jesus said you, and do a whole seven week series on that. Yeah. It's awesome. So, cause Jesus's nickname is I am, which is the greatest nickname ever. And you will see the son of man sitting at the right hand of the mighty one and coming on the clouds of heaven. Now, this is like they're looking up right now. It's looking at each other saying, what in the world is this you talking so about? So when Jesus says this, all of a sudden, they they know what that phrase is, the Son of Man, because that goes back to the Daniel 7, 
this kind of lingo, all of a sudden you're you're claiming to be Messiah. Okay. I mean, the big dogs are just ripping their clothes off. Tie this in with the destroying the temple and you're coming on the clouds of heaven. Well, you pretty much agreed to the to the accusation of the charges. Yeah, because then what's the next statement? The high priest tore his clothes. Well, why do we need any more witnesses? I mean, he's basically, he just admitted it. He's claiming to be the Messiah and he's coming on the clouds. I mean, he's not bringing gifts. He, he's bringing terror. So you have heard this blasphemy. What do you think? They all condemned him as worthy of death. Then some began to spit at him, they blindfolded him, struck him with their fists and said, prophesy. Because think about what they're doing here. It's not just they're persecuting because they, you know, they don't like him. They're saying, oh, you're claiming to be the son of man, the one, you know, Daniel was referring to, and you're going to come in judgment. And so that now that he's elevated himself as something more than just a man, they're now blindfolding him, making fun of him because they're like prophesy who hits it. If you're a supernatural being, get yourself out of this. The guards, they were hitting with their fists and the guards took him and beat him. Yep. So that's basically the first trial. Yeah, and it's really interesting because, it's, it's again, it's the same mindset that comes forward. Think about how ridiculous this whole situation is. But but it really is the mindset of misunderstanding because we we've talked a lot about the disciples missing who Jesus was. These guys have missed it even more because they're so convinced he's not unless he all of a sudden starts fighting back and destroying them and calling down lightning out of heaven. They're like, you're not who you say you are. If you were the Messiah, we couldn't be doing this to you. That's what they're saying. That was what their actions yep. were saying. Yeah, but here's what's the irony of this. And like I said, you have you have something going on here from a humanity standpoint that's really disturbing, because Jesus is this claim, him saying "I am," which is a claim he made many times that made people uncomfortable. And this claiming to be the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven, that claim, when you think about what that is, that's saying that God has become a man. Yeah. And the, you know, what are the consequences of that? I mean, you start factoring in all the teachings that we teach that are a result of this claim in that there's a way for humans to approach God because it's going to be through him. He came to make that separation between God and man. He, he came as that bridge. He, he came to give access, which you're saying, what are the implications of that? The things that are not possible for a human being could be possible if he really is the son of man bringing an eternal kingdom. And so, this art, this claim that Jesus made was the most explosive in that moment, just from every kind of uh, word you can think of, from an intellectual viewpoint to a personal level, because he's he's fixed to give his life for the very people that are trying to kill him, and that's why I said when you kind of look at this backwards, humans are putting God on trial, which. Uh, you know, when Al and I were discussing this on how to how to view this, 
I brought up to my knowledge, I think the only other place where this happens is in Exodus 17, which there's always an example of something like this from the Old Testament to the New Testament. And uh, you'll say, well, what do you mean God, where God is on trial? And you remember the story, Al? Yeah, before you read that, let's take our last break. Yeah, the story, the setup of the story is they're out in the desert and, you know, they need water uh, to be able to to drink, you know, to be able to survive. And so this is the setup for what happens. And then they're like, there is no God. He can't be here. He's not providing for us. So they're basically putting him on trial. Yeah. So in, in Exodus 17, they were quarreling with Moses. They're like, give us water to drink. I mean, we're out here. And so Moses said, well, why do you quarrel with me? Why why do you put the Lord uh, to the test? So they're testing the Lord, putting him on trial, basically. He doesn't know what he's doing. We're suffering. We're So the people were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled. This verse 3 of Exodus 17. They said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? So then Moses cries out to the Lord, what am I to do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. Now, this is really interesting. The Lord answered Moses, walk on ahead of the people, take with you some of the elders and take in your hand the rod or staff, which was the sign of what they did with the judges. They had the rod and and go. I will stand there before you by the rock. So, I mean, God says, I'm going to stand by the rock. Strike the rock and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders and he called the place uh, Massa and Meribah because the the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord saying, is the Lord among us or not? So think about what he did. You've got really two possibilities. They're not, the people are not trusting in the Lord. They're griping, they're complaining, they're grumbling and so God can either strike the people because they're obviously wrong and they're the ones who are sinning or God says, I'll be on the rock and you strike the rock. And you say, what is the significance of this? Well, Paul got it when he gets to first Corinthians 10. You remember when he goes through the warnings from Israel's history and he said, when the rock was struck, that rock was Christ. And so you see this shadow of what's happening here in this trial in that, yes, should all these people be struck down for doing this to Jesus? Yes. But God, here he is, just like he did in this Exodus 17, he's going to be struck down so that the people can be saved. I mean, it's the exact mirror image. No, I love that, Jay. And when you were saying that, it's the only time you know, I thought of another one. Because when you said that about the test, it made me think about it. You remember when Jesus was being tempted by Satan? And you remember the second one, he took him up on the highest point of the temple. And he said, if you throw yourself down, nothing will happen to you. And then he quoted a verse, how that, you know, he was to be guarded by God. And you remember what Jesus' answer was? Because now, in in essence, Satan was doing the same thing the people were doing back in Exodus 17, that he was putting God on trial. Yeah, this is now right. I'm saying you show me. And then what did Jesus say? Do not put your Lord God to the test. 
So we tell them the same thing. You have no right to put God on trial because of who you are as Satan. So I never thought about it, Joseph, but that's actually a second example of the exact yeah, same thing about putting God on trial. Well, and in this case, Jesus is going to be smitten, you know, for us, just like God was and the rock to give them water when they didn't deserve it because of their attitudes and their lack of, uh, you know, putting their, their lives in God's hand. The, that first Corinthians 10 references, uh, is two, three, five, when it says they were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea, and they ate the spiritual food and drank the spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them, and they bore the judgment of not giving their lives to God. So another thing I was noticing, Jace, was that you know, there's not a lot of difference in what you're seeing here with the teachers of the law and the Pharisees. They 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 believe in the idea of Jesus. In other words, they've known that the prophecies were there, the scripture was there, so they believe in the idea of the Messiah. The problem was when he actually got there and they couldn't explain it, they couldn't, you know, they kept saying, Well, we can't I mean, we can't deny he's doing these miracles. They didn't believe in Jesus. And isn't that exactly what you see in agnosticism today? People believe in the idea of what they would call a great designer or, you know, something had to like get this in motion because it's just not making to dad's point. The saltwater idea just doesn't seem to fit. But then they don't actually believe Jesus and what he says. And so they look at. You know, they see churches or religion. They say, well, I just I can't really go with that. So instead, they just find themselves in this place of having a belief system that they can't actually enact into an everyday existence. I mean, that's exactly the the same idea. Jesus earlier, he had pointed them to start uh, with the notion that he's going to save the Gentiles, too. They didn't like that, Al. They didn't like the idea of the Gentiles receiving the, the evidence of God and the love and mercy of God, they thought, well, do what? They just couldn't see them. They, they were thinking about the Jewish kingdom. So that's another reason they said, no way. He's even going to, do you going to die for those two? Yeah, yeah, I'm going to die for them. That, that's a tough load for them to, to swallow. Yeah, exactly. Well, I think the big picture in going in with what you're saying is that when you think about what sin is, it's when you substitute yourself as God. Yep. I mean, you want to do what you want to do. You don't care, you know, what your even your conscience is telling you to do. We, you know, what are the cravings of man, the lust of the eyes, and the the pride of life, and and a yeah. And what kind of kingdom are you talking about here? But here you see that God's grace is Him substituting himself for what you deserve. Here's the kingdom, and the kingdom's fixing to die. Three days, he'll be raised again. They're like, do what? It was was beyond their their, uh, comprehension. They just couldn't grasp it. That's what I'm saying. When you take the place of God, you're sinful. When he took the place of you, he died an innocent life and gave himself and that's really what's going on here that's why i said it's ironic when you think about humans putting god on trial when god puts us on trial he gives us 
his son and to take our place, which which is the scheme of redemption. That, that's why I think this is really important. When you see Jesus having to answer these <laughs> accusations, because it's like, well, what do you, what do you say? There's another uh, there's another gospel rendition of this, and uh, let's see, where's the parallel passages to this one? Now? Is it Luke 22? Maybe it's in Luke. But it's almost more like, oh, by the way, he he said when they're trying to come up with this false evidence against him. And when he says, you'll see the Son of Man. Yeah, so when you look at the Luke 22 version of it, watch what he says. They said, if you're the Christ in 67, if you're the Christ, they said, tell us. Jesus answered, well, if I tell you, you would not believe me. And if I asked you, you would not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the mighty, mighty God, which is a little different than Mark's. I mean, he was basically saying, what's it matter? You're not going to, you're not going to answer me. They all asked, are you then the Son of God? He replied, I am. You are right in saying, I am. Then they said, well, why do we need any more testimony? We've heard it from his own lips. So they basically tried to trap him into saying, I'm I'm the son of God. And he actually said, it's not going to matter because you've already made up your mind. And so there was nothing he could do. I mean, there was literally nothing he could do. They were so enraged and his declaration of who he is and, and, and he actually is led him to dying. I just think it's fascinating. It's really good. Uh, we'll we'll discuss a little more. We're out of time uh, in our overtime segment. BlazeTV.com slash unashamed is where you go to get that. Uh, we'll flesh that out a little bit more. And to Dad's point, for the next podcast, we're going to get to where he is before the Gentile powers that be, and that's Pilate. So we'll get into that next time on Unashamed. Thanks for listening to the Unashamed podcast. Help us out by rating us on iTunes. And don't miss an episode by subscribing on YouTube and be sure to click that little bell to get notified about new episodes. And for even more content that you won't get anywhere else, subscribe to Blaze TV at blazetv.com slash unashamed.